0: Lord Jesus, open our ears to hear your word that never fails. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not your word. Give us ears now to hear what you want to say to us. In Christ's name, for your glory I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, on this day when we have a meeting following this service, we have a congregational meeting on this first day of Advent. I think we have a a fitting text uh, for us to think about from the gospel. Uh, Because in our gospel reading, Jesus is calling his disciples to wake up. There's a wake-up call here in this text for Jesus' disciples. There's a wake-up call here for the church so that we might not become complacent. We might not become Sleepy, and so for those who are tempted to become complacent, let's let's hear the wake up call of Christ this morning. It's not easy when you're sleeping to keep yourself awake or to be awakened. Isn't? I mean, think about driving on a, a long distance trip, and you have to go through the night, and and uh, you start to feel drowsy, and you have to do some things that maybe aren't so pleasant to keep yourself awake. You got to. Uh, uh, lower the windows, uh, crank up the music, drink a lot of caffeine. Or uh, if you're traveling with somebody, maybe your spouse or your friend, they have to kind of rouse you every once in a while, knock you around a little bit to keep you awake. And that's not pleasant, but it's necessary. It's necessary. Um, If you've had a difficult night of sleep, you've been tossing and turning, the last thing you want to hear is the harsh alarm alarm going off in the morning. But again, if you've got work to do, you need that wake-up call. And this is what Jesus is giving us and His disciples today in Mark 13. Jesus tells His disciples, don't be like a guard whose duty it is to watch the door. And yet, when His Master returns... He finds him nodding off. He finds him asleep. That's more than just embarrassing. That's a dereliction of duty. And so Jesus has been talking to His disciples about His second coming and that they have work to do until He comes again. And He does not want them to grow complacent. He teaches them that uh, He will come again, but that His return is going to be sudden And it's going to be unexpected. He says in verse 32, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, be on guard, keep awake. Now, Christians debate a lot of details surrounding the second coming of Christ. And there's a lot of questions about this text and this whole teaching that we find in Matthew 13, which we don't have time to go into the details or address some of the, the questions. But this is not debated. This cannot be questioned if you just read what we read at the end of this chapter, and that is how Christ wants his disciples to live until he comes. What he wants his disciples to do until he comes. This is crystal clear in the text. Be on guard. Keep awake. Verse 33. Stay awake. Again. Therefore, stay awake. He says, you do not know when the master of the house will come, lest he come suddenly. Over and over again, isn't it? Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. And then, as just in case we don't get the point, he says at the very end of this teaching, this concludes his teaching about the end times. He says, I, what I say to you, and there he was addressing Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, but then he enlarges it to all of the disciples. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay vigilant. Stay on task. Stay watchful. You do not know when you're going to meet Christ. And so this is the call that he issues. Well, what does it mean for us then to stay awake, to stay alert, to stay vigilant? What is Christ asking us to do exactly? You could go uh, to a lot of different scriptures to kind of unfold this theme of a disciple who needs to be awake and alert. But I want us to, I want to direct your attention to actually the context here of Matthew 13 because there's a couple other places where Jesus in Matthew 13, or Mark 13 rather has talked about being vigilant he's used this language of being vigilant and being watchful and on guard and so it's not in your bulletin but if you have a bible you could look there at uh, Mark 13 and the first time that he uses this language of being vigilant being on guard is Mark 13:9 <clears throat> Mark 13:9 and this comes in the context of him telling his disciples that their job their task is to witness to him in the context of persecution. So what are we to do? We are to be the witnesses of Christ even when it's difficult. So he says in Matthew 13:9 to his apostles, "But be on guard For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So, yes, there's persecution coming to the apostles and we see this in the book of Acts. But it's through the persecution that they're going to bear witness to Christ. And then he says, and this gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And then he gives this encouragement that while they are being persecuted, they're not to be anxious because the Holy Spirit is going to be present with them. And supernaturally, the Spirit is going to give them the words to say. And Do not be anxious beforehand about what you're to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And again, if you read the book of Acts, you see that this came true, that the disciples, the apostles, were persecuted for the sake of Christ, but they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel in that context. And through the persecution of the early church, the church spread as they fled persecution The gospel went with them, or rather, they took the gospel with them, and God used that to expand his kingdom. But that is our call as well today, to witness to Christ, even in contexts where that is difficult. We don't face, of course, what the apostles faced. We don't face what the first readers of this gospel, the gospel of Mark, was written to Christians in Rome. And depending on where you date the gospel of Mark, some people believe that these Christians would be those who faced the persecution of Nero. Terrible persecution came to the church at Rome. And so we don't face that kind of hostility. We're not at risk in this country, thank God, of losing our lives or being beaten to witness to Christ, or because we witness to Christ. But we know that many in our culture are skeptical, critical, if not hostile to Christianity. And in such an environment, it can be easy. The easy thing for us to do is to pull back and, and to uh, not have relationship or contact with those who believe differently than us. There can be this this pressure to kind of keep our heads down and stay quiet. To to not have the awkward conversation with family members and friends. Well, what do you believe about God? You know, it doesn't have to be hostile. It can be conversational. But it it, it still can be awkward, right, to kind of cross into that. What What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Christ? Well, here's what I believe, and here's why I believe it. The easy thing to do is to kind of pull back from that because we're afraid of what people might think of us or how they might associate Christianity with with various um, negative ideas. It's easy for churches like ours to kind of be cut off completely from skeptics and critics or seekers of truth. And, and, And so... As I, as I thought about this passage and, and try to apply it to my life, I've, I've been convicted that I've personally kind of grown complacent in this. I'm hearing Christ call, wake up. This is, this is what I've called you to do. You are to be a witness, even in difficult situations and not ideal environments. This is the work Christ has given His church. This gospel shall be preached to all nations. And so, brothers and sisters, let's hear that wake-up call this morning as a church. Again, we're going to be thinking in our meeting about about where we're at with our budgets and where we're at with our buildings. What's it all for? It's for the cause of Christ, it's so that people might hear this gospel and believe it. There's some things that have encouraged me recently in this area of evangelism and outreach. Um, about three or four weeks ago, I had a conversation with a young lady in our diocese, and she was telling me her story of coming to faith in Christ. And she was raised in a nominal Christian home. It, Christianity really wasn't important to her family or to her life, but, you know, they would attend periodically. But then she got to college. And she was doing well academically. She was doing well as an athlete. And she had a scholarship. And so kind of a, a good future was in store for her. But then a family member, I believe it was her father, that passed away. And that began to raise questions in her mind about, you know, what, what is really the, my ultimate purpose? What is the meaning of life? Are these things that I'm chasing going to give me complete happiness and satisfaction? It was at that time as she was wrestling with these kinds of deep questions that a friend in college, a Christian, invited her to a Bible study. This, this friend uh, took a bold step and started talking to her about the things of God and got her involved in a Bible study and then a the church and she came to faith. And now this young girl is uh, wanting to serve Christ as a deacon in his church. It was just a reminder for me that yeah, there are still people like this all around us who have these kinds of questions, and there are seasons in their life where, where there's an opening for the gospel, and we need to be there. We need to be bold. We need, by the grace of God, to trust that the Holy Spirit that empower, empowered the apostles is with us to empower us to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was also encouraged this last night. I got this email from our prayer shawl ministry ladies. And they said, you know what we're going to do now? We're we're not going to just stay in the church and do our ministry. But now we're going to go to a cafe in the Chesterfield area. And we're going to be knitting our scarves and things in public. And maybe people will ask us, what are you all doing? And that will give us an opportunity to talk about our ministry and maybe even opportunity to share the faith. It's getting out. Being more bold. And that's what Christ calls us to do. Stay awake to this task of sharing the gospel. Don't fall asleep on this. And then uh, there's another time where Jesus in Mark 13 calls for this attitude of vigilance, of watchfulness. And it's when he warns about false teachers false prophets spiritual frauds he says in matthew i'm sorry mark 13:21 and then if anyone says to you look here is the christ here's the messiah or look there he is do not believe it for false christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the elect But, here it is again, this language of watchfulness, verse 23, but be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. He is forewarning them. What a comfort it must have been for these apostles as they faced persecution and as they saw this false teaching beginning to emerge to know, yes, Christ told us this would happen. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. Lord, This is not surprising him. We're to be faithful even in the midst of these difficulties. But false teaching is one of those things that Jesus warns us to be on guard against. Beware of following leaders, friends. Beware of following leaders, whether they're political leaders or spiritual leaders, who kind of use doomsday prophecy to promote themselves as a kind of Messiah figure that we are to put our hope in, as if they alone can provide the safety and security for what's coming. Be aware of false messiahs, whether they be political or spiritual leaders. We've seen, haven't we, in American history how that can lead to such disaster and tragedy. You can think of extreme examples like... Jim Jones and David Koresh, these were people who were messianic type figures and they preyed on the vulnerable and people's fears. Now that's again a very extreme example, but that kind of mentality can happen. That kind of of, uh, false messianic hope can enter into even mainstream culture in times of flux and uncertainty and fear. We have to be on guard against these messianic pretenders. Jesus, I want you to notice what He says here about these false messiahs and prophets. That they will be attractive to people because they will come with signs and wonders, He says. They will have spiritual power. But their power is not coming from God. It's not coming coming from the Holy Spirit. But they will have spiritual power. They will have an authority. They will have something about them That attracts people to them. And and so we have to be on guard against that. And that is is how false teaching happens in the church. That's how it makes inroads into the church because the teaching appeals to something in certain people. And so Paul the Apostle warns uh, about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when the Apostle Paul is telling his disciple Timothy that he needs to be about studying and preaching the Word of God and being faithful to do that. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, listen, to suit their own passions. To suit their own passions. They want to put forward people who are saying what they want to hear. Things that are attractive to them. Things that are appealing to them. You know, for some people, there is something attractive to hearing somebody say, you have the divine Christ within you. This kind of new age understanding of Christ. That, you know, there's nothing qualitatively different between you and Christ in terms of The divine. He just has more of the divine nature and he's just an example for you to grow into your own divinity. That's a false teaching, a kind of new age Christ. But that's attractive to people. It appeals to spiritual pride. There's something appealing to the idea that you can be a Christian and then live however you want in your private life. That kind of moral relativism appeals to our sinful appetites. That sounds good. What about the prosperity gospel? Jesus came to give you health and wealth. If you have enough faith, you can get this guaranteed. And you can have your best life now. Well... That's a very popular message in some circles. If you have a charismatic preacher who can preach it that way, he will get a crowd because it appeals to something. The problem with all those kinds of teachings, and we can mention many more, is that they're not the true Christ. They're not giving people the true gospel. They're giving it's like getting a placebo for an illness or even worse a poison. Instead of the true medicine that will bring health and wholeness. And the true medicine that people need to hear, brothers and sisters, is repentance of sin. And faith in Jesus Christ who died for them. And again, that may not be popular and it's often not because it's it's an affront to our pride. But it's the medicine that we all need to hear and we all need to take. And so we need to be about holding fast to the true Christ. The question when you hear people talk, spiritual leaders talk, the question you should ask yourself is not necessarily, do I find this attractive? Do I like what I'm hearing? Rather, is this true? Is it true? How does it line up with what Christ taught? How does it line up with the apostles? How does it line up with what the church has said? Is it true? Is this something that Christians have always believed and confessed? Now, we want to hold fast to the truth of Christ, but um, we don't want to be jerks about it, right? We don't don't have to be jerks. We don't have to be mean-spirited. We don't have to be argumentative. We need to stand for the truth of Christ in the spirit of Christ with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, which is about patience and kindness and gentleness. But yet, hold firm. This is what we need to be about. And so Jesus says in Matthew, I keep saying Matthew, but it's Mark. In Mark there. I've been preaching on Matthew a lot. See, this is what happens with the liturgical calendar. It flips on Advent. And so I've been stuck in Matthew for a while. But Jesus is saying in Mark 13, this is the, these are the things, apostles, I want you to be on guard. I want you to be vigilant about these things until I come again. And, and I believe this is the word that he would have for us as a church. Knowing that Christ could return at any hour, that we could meet him at any moment should heighten our sense of urgency and responsibility to do what he's called us to do. And yes, we do it out of reverence and fear of Christ. But we also do it out of love for the one who's loved us so much that he went to the cross. You know, there are times when Josie and I would go out for an evening and we'll tell our kids, Hey, you need to clean your room. And when we get back, that room better be cleaned. And there's been times when we've come back and the room hasn't been clean. Can you believe that? <laughs> and uh, it's not like we say, okay, we don't love you anymore and you're out of the family. Of course not. But there are consequences. We gave them a warning. We told them what we wanted them to do and we hoped that they would be responsible to do it. And, and so there's been times where that's been the case. Now, there's been... A, Couple of other times when they've surprised us greatly, like a professional cleaning company has come in. I mean, there's there's been times when, and again we can count it on one hand, but when we we come in and it's like there's not a dish in the sink, the the pillows on the sofa have all been straightened, and and there's a ta- there's a candle on the dining room table. And it's like they wanted to do this. They went above and beyond what we asked them to do. Just to express their love for their parents. Yes, it it wasn't out of sense of drudging duty. It was out of sense of because you love us, we, we want to express that back. And that's how it is with how we work for Christ. That's how I want to work for Christ. As an expression of love. Until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be faithful to these things. Help us to be faithful to do the work that you've given us to do. As we've thought about the the last times, Lord, the, the last day, we've looked at various teachings of yours. The parable of the talents you've given us all work to do until you come again. And now this teaching about being watchful, being on guard about these kinds of things, of bearing witness to you and holding fast to the true faith. By your Holy Spirit, empower us to do these things. Out of reverence for you and out of love for you and for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.